Okay, let's get weird. Woo-woo! Uh, so in this episode, we are reviewing and recapping uh, season one, episode three of Ted Lasso. Trent Krim, the independent. Yes, Trent Krim, the independent. Um, it's the title glorious, of his glorious hair. With his beautiful, majestic hair. Um, <laughs> I just no, hair. no, Trent deserves. If you mention Trent Krim, you have to mention that hair. I mean, there's one episode, I think, later in the series where he's wearing, I think, leopard print loafers. Sorry, yes. we are getting ahead of ourselves. Like, I... no, yeah, you've mentioned that before. So we have to keep an eye out for the, yes. the leopard print loafers. I didn't, I didn't clock his shoes this episode because I want to see it. Well, I keep watching every episode for when they're going to occur because I don't remember when it was. Glorious shoes. I was just like, ooh, Trent Krim. In addition to your hair, nice fashion sense. Trent Krim is the best, um, and he deserves to have this episode named after him. He does. For what he does for Ted and the team and all of us. Um, Mm. So let's get right into it. I would have to say that, like, just before we get into the recap, this Mm -hmm. episode is when it, like, starts to get into the meat of things for me. Like, this is when I'm just like, yes, like I get revved up about yes. um, what happens, you know, in the plot points and the, the evolution that we see in people in the show. So I'm looking forward to this one. Mm-hmm. OK, so the episode starts with Rebecca going into work. She's got a lot of pep in her step. She wakes up way too early, way, way too, too early. way too early. And she's too peppy. Yeah, she's, she's way too peppy. She's a um, spiteful level of peppy. Yeah, she basically like skips into the office on her like little on her all the hate that she's bottled up um, <laughs> over the years dealing with Rupert. Yeah. Uh, and she's clearly looking forward to something. And when she gets to her desk, she opens a copy of The Sun and is pissed. She's just pissed off to find that there's not a picture of Ted and Keeley in this tabloid. So. I'm right off the bat, super annoyed with Rebecca. And I'm also wondering, why does she start her day looking at a tabloid? Like, that's the first thing that's on her desk. Well, I think, well, we've seen her do it in previous episodes. So I think it's, she's looking to see, kind of track her divorce, how it's playing in the public eye. So I think that is a habit she's developed after her divorce. That would be my guess. I hope that's right, because I hope that's not a normal habit of hers, no, because I, it's the habit of go path. Yeah, we've, we've like seen it's a, it. It's a habit of a crazy person. Yeah, the only time I read yes. tabloids is when I'm in the grocery store, and I really like the Bat Boy ones. I want to know what Bat Boy is up to. Oh, um, that, that's like, oh, that's like the, yeah, I didn't know they still made those. Like, the I don't know that they still National do, Enquirer. but I, those are the ones I like vividly remember is bat boy yeah um and like really and to this day i want to know what he's up to i really do i wouldn't mind knowing what he's up i to. know right um that was either the old school national Enquirer, like the really old one or yeah. like it's a story from six sad world and daria something i don't like, know I don't- <laughs> but i remember it was like this clearly bizarrely photoshopped or edited picture of like a baby with yeah. those sharp teeth oh yeah, he looked and like Nosferatu. He did look like Nosferatu. Yeah, yeah. it was wild. That's crazy. So she's a sicko for for doing yes. this first thing in the morning. Ted comes in with well, his... no. First he calls. She calls um, Higgins, but she calls him shithead. Which yeah. again, rude. These are not professional people. Oh no, she is not 
trying to be professional at all. <laughs> no, and it bothers me. She's she's on a mission for blood. So yeah, she does. She has him programmed in her phone as shithead. Did you notice that? Yes, and I didn't care for it. I didn't care for it. I didn't care for it at all. Yeah, so she calls Higgy Bottoms, uh, who is <laughs> still at home. He's nowhere near his office. And of course, she tries to you know summon him over there. Like she got to the office at like 630 in the morning, like a lunatic while he's still having breakfast with his family. Like a normal human being yeah. that has appropriate priorities in life. Yes, because she's um, being spitefully peppy. Anyway, yeah. Sorry, go on. And so I have to say, like Higgins, I identified hard with Higgins in this episode because in a past life, that was totally me. Like <laughs> I God, it was my favorite job, actually, which I had to give up for reasons unrelated to the job. And I still miss it. But no, I would pull that where I would like come in just whenever, like 10 o'clock or whatever. And I would like hide my suitcase, like in another office that was around the corner from my office. Like it was a whole charade. So I like that Higgins is, he has his, yeah, he's in the game. He has his priorities straight. Like, you know, screw those people at work, like whatever, be with your family, you know? Um, So yeah, so she has that little exchange with Higgins and then Ted comes in for biscuits Mm -hmm. with the boss and Rebecca is still playing hard to get. And she's trying to act like she doesn't have time, you know, but like she's not doing anything other than no, plotting. But she's clearly crumbling. I love that Ted is kind of slowly realizing she is recalcitrant and is like pushing harder. And that dumb, stupid branding joke that I loved. I loved it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I loved it so much. That that was good. I was like, and him gonna be like, if this is Kansas, you'd have to be waiting, you know, stopping so I could wait for y'all to finish laughing. And I was like, yes. And she's just like, what is this alien? What is he doing in my office? Yeah, like who is this bumpkin that they let in here? <laughs> but what was that joke? It was something about, oh, she has a branding meeting. Yeah. And then and he was like, Oh, well, you know, I, I hate that they have to do that to cows, but otherwise they get lost, you know? Yeah. But um, um, I love it. So yeah, that was a cute little Kansas moment for Ted. Later in the manager's office, Ted and Beard are going over plays because Crystal Palace just kicked their ass last week. Yes. Uh, as we saw. I love this for two se- for two reasons. One, Nate, the Nate thing. But it shows that Ted is, again, you know I have a problem with Ted and why he got the job. And I understand it's a convoluted plot point, but like it, and it, it, it could potentially take down the lives of a lot of people but i do like that it shows that he is not an idiot here he is working he is getting the like he is working to understand the game now arguments could be made that he should have you know done that before he got on a plane to england like coach beard did right or before crystal palace yes yeah but i love it i love that he's like clearly at least got some grasp of the basics of the game and also, Nate. I love Nate. I love Nate in this. I love him so much. And I love the reaction to him when he comes in with the suggestion. Yeah. So Ted's actually putting in some work right now yes. along, along with Beard. And then Nate gets in on the action. So he draws up their current offense. He admits that it sucks. And then he erases it. And, he, and that's because he believes in symbolic gestures. Right. <laughs> so I love it. He's like, oh, you know, this might seem like a waste of time to you, but he, he's going through his catharsis with this terrible offense that they have. Yeah. And the problems with their offense, you know, definitely led to or contributed to the defeat against Crystal Palace. 
And so Ted's on the prowl for new ideas. And this is when our poor, sweet little Nathan, you know, he's in there emptying the trash or doing whatever. And he just starts stammering. Like that's how good the idea was like percolating around in his, in his brain or rather his pockets. He can't keep it in. He just starts stammering. Like it's bubbling up. He has to say something, you know, he doesn't sound too confident at first when Ted's like, basically asked him like, what's up, Nate? You got some to contribute? He's kind of like mumbling or whatever until Ted says that he has trouble hearing people who don't believe in themselves, which is like classic dad behavior. Uh, It's, it's, it's great. And I love, I love when he gets Nate to kind of finally mumble out his idea and he goes, why? And he he just goes, why are you screaming at us? Nate and beard (laughs) falls out of the chair. I was just like, I love, I, one of the things I do fundamentally love is Ted and coach beards relationship. They work well together. Yeah. They, they play off of each other. Continuing with my feeling that this is like dad behavior. Mm -hmm. They play off of each other as like, you know, two parents, like, like, um, Beer is kind of like the stern, stoic one. And Ted's like the goofy, fun one. You know what I mean? So Nate pulls out a slip of paper from his pockets. And mm-hmm. he walks Beard and Ted through a plan that is essentially to use Jamie as a decoy for Sam. It's a good plan. It's a good plan. And Ted says that he's going to try it on for a size. And in this moment, I'm like, I actually did like a little fist pump when I was watching the episode. Because Nate... it. Nate gets it here, like Nate for the win, you know, he's getting his moment. And I love this, that they're including him on strategy and like plays and stuff. I love um, it. I love how supportive it is. I love when he's like, I'm going to try it on, see if it's a flattering silhouette. Like, I like that it's also shows that he's doing his, um, again, research. Like they're doing, he's not just going to go because he thinks it's clever. He needs to run the, run the, run the team through this and see if they can do it. See if it right. works. Yeah, he's going to try it on for size. And that's giving Nate a shot. I like that he looks for ideas from anywhere. You know, it's not like you have to be a part of the management staff in order to contribute to the team. So that's really cool on Tate and Beard's part. And then they strut away. They do a little strut. And I have to say that Nate's strut needs a little little work. It was a little um, (laughs) gremlin-y. I don't know how to describe it other than that. I feel like I've seen gremlins in video games walk like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, yeah, he needs to find his rhythm a little bit, but he'll get there. If he keeps getting like play ideas up to the table like this, maybe he'll get there. Well, you saw he had a lot more in his pockets. That's true. He was carrying a lot of stuff in his pockets. So maybe that's ideas out of, yeah. you know, in the works. Mm-hmm. Clearly, things are going a little bit too well this morning. Because Keely waves Ted over to show him that everything has gone to shit. She shows him a picture on her phone of Ted feeding her at her last photo shoot. Uh, And it's going to run in today's Sun paper in the tabloid. But she knows somebody that works over there and was able to strike a deal um, that they were going to hold the picture for a day. Yeah, it was going to run under the title Manager Shag's Star Player's Girlfriend. Which just would have been the biggest cluster. Yeah, it would have been the biggest ever. clusterfuck. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how Keely is like upset that one, she's impressed by how fit she looks in the photograph. And then she's like, the next one's not going to be that flattering. It's going to be me mid sneeze. And then it's her and Ted going through an escalating thing of like rhyming. And like Ted is just impressed by how good she is at rhyming. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, and yeah. Keely has bars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, and, and she goes, and she, what did she say? She's like, you have no idea the power of rhyming has over this country. It was just like, <laughs> I just, because like, I have noticed that in British tabloids, they do, they do enjoy good, good rhyme. They like rhyming and alliteration as well. They do. Yeah. Um, if Keely had like a rap name, what would it be? Oh, Ashley, you know how white I am. Don't do this to me. Oh. <laughs> I feel like it would be, um, it'd be something like super, super like uh, easy and, and classic, like, you know, Kid Keeley. Oh, uh, th- there's alliteration there or like Young Keeley. Mm. Uh, young Keeley never broke again. I don't know. Maybe she gets in on some of the new, the new rapper terminology too. Mm. Keeley, like I said, brokered this deal for them to hold this picture for a day. And in a turn of, well, if it isn't the consequences of my own actions coming back to haunt her, Rebecca has to sit in her office and play dumb, basically, while Ted and Keeley tell her about this photograph. They immediately take it to her um, because, you know, she's a part of the management of the team. They're trying to figure out what to do. And she keeps a pretty straight face as she tells them that she knows the owner of the paper and will get the story stopped. They actually thank her like they're grateful yeah, her. this whole scene is is great with the just Keely and Ted like like heaping praise on Rebecca, mm-hmm. and it, praise what, that she doesn't deserve. I don't know that stuff about her arms is correct. She does oh. look like she could arm wrestle Michelle Obama and stand a chance. Yeah, and, uh, she has the action figurey arms. Um, yeah. <laughs> also, I love that Ted says if there was an arm wrestle between her and Michelle Obama, he wouldn't be able to look away. Yeah, and like, her response to that is, that's not a compliment I've heard before. <laughs> no, it's not. But, you know, I feel the same way about about this that Ted does. Like, where like where can I, where's the pay-per-view? Where can I see this? Because I, yes. would, I would watch it. It would be real weird. It, yeah, it would and be I would, bizarre. I would not advise Michelle Obama to do that. You have better things to do at your time. They probably I, I both do, to it. be honest. She's a very, very talented. Uh, the w- woman who plays Rebecca, I believe, is also an incredibly yeah. talented singer. She could be, you know, she's doing like plays. She does stuff. like theater and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She could be. She could um, be entertaining people and bringing art to the world. So not yeah. only would Michelle Obama have better things to do, so does Rebecca. Yeah, Hannah Waddingham. That's her name. I mean, her real yeah. name. And so yeah, I just I'm crushed by how they're they're thanking her. And she's the one that set this stuff up, you know, and they're actually grateful to her that she's pretending to rescue them in that moment. So to her credit, she does intercede. She could she could be like, no, I can't do anything about that. And but that she goes like, no. Why do you think she changes her mind? I think it's because Keely. I don't oh. think she wants to get Keely involved in this. No, I, I really. Yeah, yeah. Well, keep going with your thought. Well, because I think. I think it's she doesn't want to bring Keely down. It's she just wants to center this on Ted. I don't think she wants to cast that net to Keely. So Keely and Rebecca do have like a little moment later in this episode. But it's great. I think that that comes after this moment. So I don't know how close she is to Keely or how much she knows about Keely in this conversation in the office that happens at the top of the day. What I think it is, is that her her plot is essentially blown. Uh, you know, and so she's abandoning it? She abandons it because Keely does know somebody that works at the Sun. And remember, Keely comes in there and says, I'm going to track down who's doing this to the uh, ends of the earth. 
And Rebecca asked Higgins, do you think that they can find out that it's me? And Higgins, because he's the type that um, comes in at 10 o'clock and eats breakfast with his family. He's not a spy, (laughs) as he points out. Listen, he doesn't put like he's not giving his all to this job. Okay, like he's like, I also think he's never been asked to to do something like this before. He's not a publicist. No, well, well, he was director of communications, so you're supposed to be a publicist before you have that job. Ah, uh, good point. Well, you don't know how <laughs> England works. It's a backward but, country. They still have the metric system over there. But, but like he, he's like phoning this in because he's not with it. Remember, he is mm. on Team Ted essentially. Do you think he potentially sabotaged it, or is it more of like he no, didn't think just, it through? Just it was just think- lazy. He, this is not his project. He's being ah. dragged along in this. He likes Ted. He likes Ted from episode one. And he so he's, he's kind of just, you know, appeasing Rebecca. And so his, his heart is not in this. So, of course, he's going to be sloppy and leave, you know, some breadcrumbs that's going to lead back to them. So that's why Rebecca abandons the photo thing. What she substitutes is, is meant to hang Ted up even more. You know, she's just, yeah. like, oh, OK, that doesn't work. I got something for you be worse it's meant yeah. to be worse yeah okay so before we get to that part though out on the pitch the team is running default nate's play i'm calling him default nate until he gets a new moniker a little bit later in this episode mm. and he's just overwhelmed with so many new feelings you know like getting his first pube and it seems it is like, a little bit like that <laughs> it is a little, yeah like he's discovering himself you know he's finally become a man so it seemed like practice went well in the locker room afterwards, Ted gives all the players gifts. I love and this. It was very cute. Ted's a big old nerd. And so he gives them books. And Roy gets a wrinkle in time. Jamie gets the beautiful and the damned, which it's like, hello, you know? Yeah, that, that one was not uh, subtle. And uh, Sam gets uh, Orson Scott Card. He gets uh, Ender's Game. Ender's he? Game, yeah. Which I'm trying to figure out how Ender's Game applies to sam that's a weird story i don't know that that really applies to his situation Hmm. well i haven't read the book um but from what i read from the synopsis and some things online about what the books are supposed to mean in this scene it's supposed to be overall about recognizing your like gift or your destiny and not underestimating that so kind of stepping up to the plate in a way which is a larger theme for this show, I think, for this episode. That is a bit of a theme. Um, And then I also read that there are anti-imperialist themes in there as well. Um, So again, I haven't read the book, but that's just a synopsis I read. There are. There are, especially as the series goes on, um, which is very, very bizarre because or uh, Orson, uh, the, the guy who wrote it is a uh, terrifying homophobe. And he goes, he goes real hard right later in life. That happens with a lot of authors, doesn't it? I think it just happens to old people. Some, some, somebody by the name of, well, she hasn't turned right necessarily, but she is quite transphobic. Um, we know who it is. And a, a lot of people like her. Yep. Her fantasy uh, books. Um, I did too. Anyway, I never read that shit, so it hurts my heart. I've been patting myself on the back lately. Listen, <laughs> it hurt. It still, it still hurts my heart. I'm sure it does. I, I feel for people who are fans of J.K. I Rowling. Love that 
I love that so much. I love it yeah. so much. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So Roy goes in to see Ted and Beard after they get these books. And he tells them that Nate is getting harassed pretty much every day. The entire episode. I mean, he was killing it. Roy is crushing it. This episode. Crushing. King he Roy. Is, yes. Yes. He's very fucking Ken. You best respect him. Um, but I hate this scene. I hate this scene so much. I hate it with the white hot passion of a thousand suns. I hate it. I hate it. I lack the words to describe how much I hate it. Ted is in, in, to be concise, dead wrong. This is not how, oh. like, this is not, like, there, we, and we can touch upon it um, later because it comes up in our segments again. I um, fully believe that he is being lazy and cowardly. To a certain extent, at the very least, lazy. It does show some flaws in the writing to a certain extent, to be honest, we, which we can touch on later. But I love Roy. I love Roy so much. And he's clear, like, he's not doing it because he likes Nate. If I think Roy would tell you he doesn't like anyone, um, except maybe his niece. But um, I think I think it shows that he doesn't like a bully. Roy doesn't like a bully. Yep. I think that's totally right. He doesn't like a bully. I will ask you to remember what you were going to say about the writing. If you want to come back to that, because I'm oh, inter- it's in my notes. Okay. I'm interested to hear it. And then I will also say that I had the exact opposite reaction to this scene, oh. the exact opposite reaction. I'll just kind of finish out kind of what happened at the scene at, at a high level. So Roy tells Ted that Nate's getting harassed almost every day by Jamie and his side pricks. <laughs> and Ted already knows. Ted's like, yeah, I know that. And Ted basically hips Roy to game. So Ted, having learned two lessons at the rough and tumble Brookridge Elementary, he knows that you know the first thing is when little Ronnie Founch offers you a candy bar, you say no immediately and you get the hell yeah. out of there. Because there's a good chance he pooped in a Butterfinger wrapper. Okay, so good life lesson. It is a good life lesson. And it also sounds like something that Ralph from um, The Simpsons would do. It does. Like, in my mind, Ronnie Fouch is Ralph from The Simpsons. Mm -hmm. Ted is Ned Flanders in The Simpsons universe. So I'm, I'm picking up a theme here. And then the second thing that he says he learned at Brookridge Elementary was that a teacher telling a bully a bully not to pick on someone will only make it worse. That has to be the truest statement I have ever heard in my entire life. You're not wrong. Yeah. However, they are not at school. Now you can say he's asking Roy to step in for it, but that's not Roy's responsibility to a certain extent. Roy is the captain of the team. He does have some responsibility there. It's up to it's up to Ted to set the tone. He is not. He is passing the buck on. I don't I don't like this. I believe it shows it works because it's scripted to work, not because it this is how it would work in real life. So I mean, I hear all of that about the the employee part, um, especially. I will just say this. I think that Ted is handling this in the smartest way possible. I and also the most respectful way possible for everyone else that's involved because you're dealing with two other adults. The thing that I would have hated to see Ted do was to come in, you know, 
Fresh, the new person on this team, uh, he actually tried in episode two to get Jamie in line about Nate. When Jamie put the gum in the box, he tried to approach Jamie in that professional capacity. So he actually came to him, pulled him aside calmly and directly talked to him about, I don't want you putting gum in the box. What happened from there is that Jamie then proceeded to essentially bully Ted, right? Like he did like the jerk off movement. The whole locker room was laughing at Ted. The reason that I point that out is to say, realistically, you know, aside from getting HR involved, which you do have a point there, but realistically, how is Ted going to effectively put Nate in a position where he's no longer being bullied? He has to find Nate and an ally that actually has some cash to spend, that actually has some power to put in play. And we know that that person is Roy. And from episode one, they told us that person was Roy when Roy was trying to quiet down the locker room and threaten to punch dicks and people actually listened to him. So he has power that he doesn't even know that he has. There, There is that. You're not wrong. Uh, but in sports, collective punishment is used. What, do you, what does that mean, collective punishment? Uh, you, you're just made to run more laps, basically. You're made to do stuff that you don't want to do that is physically uncomfortable. So, and I've seen, I, again, I played soccer till I was 18. It was intramural, but it, it was not like when you see people like bullying or doing or doing behavior that is unbecoming, you punish the entire team. Has that ever helped the actual yes, victim? I have been on the other side of that. And that only got more bullshit directed back at me because they had to suffer because the teacher was intervening on my behalf. It was, so in this case, it's not the teacher, it's a coach, which is, is two different, which I, it, in well, a, I'm just saying I understand the in, authority a class, figure. in a classroom setting. Yes, it wouldn't work in sports. It does because I mean, on a track and field team, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about running laps. Uh, well, like in, in soccer, there's other stuff that you do, but like, yeah, you can run laps. You can do the the suicides, which is running up the stairs, which was a fucking nightmare. Um, yeah. When I say teacher, I just mean authority figure. Yeah. I think that Ted has been really shrewd in figuring out he doesn't need to come in here and play Captain Savonate. Or like if you if you have a bully on the team or whatever, like when you go to play stuff, you separate those people like you separate them. You can, because you have to, like, if we've seen, we've seen them play like seven on seven. You separate those people. I understand Nate is harder to separate, but like one of the, one of the fastest ways to get Jamie to stop being such a jackass is Nate is the kit man. He is responsible for a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. Like he, like we don't see it in the show, but they have a lot of responsibility. The quickest way to get Jamie to stop doing that is to say, if you don't start treating Nate, in a professional manner, he will stop being your kit man and you will be responsible for those duties in, in, in addition to everything else you have to do. You want it to stop. So I understand like the passion that comes from that perspective. The, the thing that I'm really impressed by with Ted is that he does not elevate himself above the players in this situation in a way that I would perceive as being ego-driven and not about Nate. I think he does it in a way where, at least from his mind, he thinks that he's doing the most that he can to protect Nate. And I really appreciated that. Like, I was super impressed by, by Ted for being 
as wise and showing as much humility in that moment that he did. And going to Roy to basically get the job done in a way where Nate's going to be protected because Roy's going to be the one standing up and being the enforcer. People are going to, you know, respect what Roy puts down um, when he does lay down that law. And it eliminates all possibility of a negative blowback on Nate. So that's what I'm thinking about. I don't see how having Roy interceding would 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 pause the blowback from Nate. Like they would just make sure to, I think you have the same issue. Well, the great thing about that was because it was the team deciding to do it itself by way of Roy and Jamie having that conversation. They were able to determine this is how our team is going to run amongst the players. I just think it has more staying power when it comes from the players as opposed to coming from the new coach who people don't like anyway. Ted is not in the position to help Nate, and he knows that. And the way that he chooses to approach it is the kindest thing that he could have done to Nate. I can see what you're saying, but I also think that there is more he could have done. Like, there are other ways he could have gone about this. All he needed to do was pull Nate aside and be like, hey, you're better than this. You shouldn't let them treat you like that. Like, like, and I think that is showing Nate respect as well. But by not doing at least that, there's something missing in his response. After this exchange with Roy, Ted notes that if he and Beard are going to have an impact at AFC Richmond, it's going to start with Roy. And the first domino that needs to fall is inside that man's heart, which is just like, okay, we're getting in the game here. Like, you know, that shows me how perceptive Ted is, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I do like that. Yeah. So Roy totally takes the cue. Um, He puffs out his chest and he marches right up to Jamie Tart to confront him about picking on Nate. Can I just say, like, in this scene, like, the way that Roy deals with Jamie and the other players, King Roy Kent, which is what I'm now calling him, <laughs> he, he is basically my internal monologue. I think I, I showed more of that in my younger self, probably. And I could be projecting, but the biggest thing I see in Roy is that he feels like he knows how everything should run. And it frustrates him when other people don't behave in the way that he thinks they should. So I basically think that Roy Kent is a little bit of a control freak. And he's not always right, at least not so far. But at least there's a certain kind of logic to the thing that he wants people to do. You know, like when he's come up to Ted and been like, Ted, you should be doing this and not focusing on that. Like there is a logic to it. Roy and I are aligned in some of our goals. (laughs) Yeah, like there is definitely a logic to... Roy Kent's, you know, going off and rattling orders at people. Um, So I really appreciate that about him and that about him. And I identify with it so hard. Roy Kent is a bossy pants and I love that about him. Yeah, but he's also a bit of a pushover. It was the other thing I identified with. Was it his love of stepbrothers? Um, I do love stepbrothers. Everybody loves stepbrothers. Um, (laughs) No, but I think that's in a later scene. Yeah, no, I think it was, I no, it was the same point. I just, I so identify with his being a control freak, freak and wanting to boss people around. Um, <laughs> it's just that I've decided to um, catch more flies with honey. So that is until I get fed up. And then I become like Roy Kent, like literally, like everything that he was saying, like when they invited him out to the club and he was <laughs> like, are you going to be there? Then fuck no. Like that's <laughs> literally my thoughts. But I you know the other thing for me too, is that I do like most people. So um, I don't, 
I don't realize that like things like that come off as harmful. Like if I'm just like, no, I don't want to go. Well, I to me, think- that's just me saying like, I happen to not want to do that, but you're lovely, you know? Well, I think the thing that I think is actually quite brilliant about the performance in, of, of Roy Kent is, is that you're right. He could very much so come across as a very mean person. Yeah. But it's performed in such a way that like, even in the first scenes in the first few episodes, you know, it's kind of immediately like mostly blustered. Like he'll get involved when he has to. Yeah. But like, this is just his over the top curmudgeon way of saying, no, thank you. I, I prefer not to go. Like it's, it's one of those things where like, I think if you ever went to Roy Kent and were like, Hey dude, you really hurt my feelings. He'd be like, oh, God damn it, fine. And he'd be like crotchety about it, but he would adjust his behavior. Um, so I think he realizes like his role in the team is to be this crotchety, overblown, older player. And he plays into that to a certain extent. But it's not like, it's not cruel. There's not a cruel. He doesn't to mean it. any harm by it. No, that's just who he is. And it's you clear, know? and it's clear the way that the performance is pitched that like, yeah like there's no malice there's nothing he's just he's just a melodramatic you know melodramatic man with big feelings he um yeah and he has no soft edges right he doesn't soften those edges he just gives it to you straight that's just what i I mean he is a secret giant softy like i think that's why he's so uh kind of over the top and aggressive is because he is in fact actually a huge softy um, so Glenn, Jamie is a classic chicken shit when it comes to being confronted with with or about his bullying, because he basically says all the right things in front of Roy about laying off Nate. But then as soon as Roy turns his back, Jamie's back to encouraging the other team members to pick on Nate. Of course, we knew he was going to behave that way. That wasn't a shocker to me. Um, I do have to say, though, with this scene, I hate the Welsh guy. Like who they don't give us a lot of I don't I I just full on hate him. He was picking on Nate at the top of the scene. Like he was the one um, doing that and instigating it. He was also the one in like episode one. I think that's just rubbing a jersey directly on Nate's face. Like he's the biggest jerk face of all time. He is and and least favorite of AFC Richmond. So the next day, Rebecca reveals to Higgy Pudding and then later to Ted that she's put an end to the tabloid photo thing. And she spoke to the owner of the sun and came to an agreement for Trent Krim to do an exclusive, exclusive interview of Ted instead. And now she tells this to Ted, like she's done him a favor. Mm-hmm. And I noticed two things in this scene from Ted. One, his reactions were so great. That you spoke to God. I loved it. You can see he like when he interacts with Rebecca in these scenes, he is like Ted Lasso to like 12. He is just cranked all the way up and the knob is broken off. You know, it's like that thing when like somebody doesn't like being tickled. And so that makes the other person want to tickle them more. Like mm-hmm. he's trying to get her, you know, yeah, except I mean? don't do that in real life. Sometimes you get kicked in uh, the face. Don't do it to me because you will get elbowed in the face. And I, I know tell, I think I, I think you've done it that. to me. <laughs> I tell people that and they don't listen. And then when you get elbowed in the face, it is a physical reaction. I do not intend to hit you in the face, but you will get hit in the face. if you try to tickle me. So, oh, but you know, the other thing about his reactions here, when she says that she has gotten the photo pulled, 
he fully coons it up. Like he starts doing high kicks. He starts like chanting like MVP. I love this because I grew up with corny dudes like this. I just thought that was adorable. And then the other reaction that he has is a little bit more significant. You know, when she mentions the thing about Trent Krim, Ted already knows what's up with Trent, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you could see it on his face that he was uncomfortable with Trent being the interviewer um, because he's had enough run-ins with Trent to know that Trent can be a tough cookie. But I think he understands the gravity of the situation. He knows so he- he's being set up. Go and look at his face and he raises his eyebrows and he's like, oh, Trent. Oh, really? Okay. He knows. Remember, so from the press conferences, Trent was always the one asking him the tough questions. And so he knows when he hears that name that like, oh, this is not going to be an easy thing. And then he says, but you know what we do with tough cookies, right? We dip them in milk. milk. Yeah. So he's ready for Trent. He knows what's coming. Uh, So Trent Krim, the independent, comes to watch practice with coach Ted Lasso from America. (laughs) And um, the boys are running Nate's play. Jamie objects to it. He thinks it's a joke that no one else thinks is funny. Roy comes in for the win here. He actually co-signs the play, but he does it in a way where he allows himself to enjoy a little bit of schadenfreude at Jamie's expense. And actually, it's mostly schadenfreude. Um, and that's when we get the great stepbrothers reference. Yes. Um, about how he now has to reorder the funniest thing that he's ever seen in his life. And it's yeah. Jamie playing decoy to Sam. So I love that. Get your burns in on Jamie because he <laughs> deserves it at this point. He does. And Trent asks Ted whether he came up with the play. Ted, the minch that he is, he shares credit here. I so love this. he um says that the play was cooked up by our very own Nate the Great. So new moniker, Nate is going to be called Nate the Great until I forget to call him that again. <laughs> it speaks so much to Ted's character that he shares the credit here. He gives credit where credit is due. He doesn't try to take it as the, you know, head coach or the, you know, the manager for the team. Neither Beard nor Ted care that the day's best idea came from the kit man. They're just like, get in on this too, Nate. When he is interacting with Trent, he is still himself to a certain degree. Well, he's still himself, but it's not like, it's not like when he's Rebe- with Rebecca, where he's dialed up to like 12. He's a much more realistic. And he's like, I think it shows he's taking it seriously. I wonder, I haven't paid enough attention to see if this is true, but I wonder if what he's doing is kind of, giving people the version of Ted Lasso that he thinks they will most respond to because his, his thing with, with um, Rebecca is so over the top. And I'm thinking he might take that approach because she's trying to push him away. So he's trying to come at her harder. Yeah. With Trent, he actually is setting out on a mission to impress Trent. Like he's setting all this stuff up. I actually don't think he's trying to impress Trent. I think he's being honest. Well, I mean, with the activities that they do that day. So like, for example, you know, when they go out to see the school, I don't, I don't know if that was fully a coincidence. I think that that was a little bit of a setup for Trent. I like that they, the hand, the show never fully tips his hat to it. I think that that is like a setup for Trent. He's trying to put Trent in the best possible positions so that the, so that Trent sees the best qualities in him and writes something good about him. 
I, I think he's, that he's like got a little strategy going on. Maybe, but I also think that that is something Ted would do. I think maybe the school trip is, but I don't think the the dinner is. I think that's part of the assignment. I think Trent is supposed to spend the day with him, so he's like, I think in Ted's mind, he is more along the lines of like, oh, okay, I know, I know this guy is supposed to have a good restaurant. Let's go here. And I think the whole thing like that he does is just something he would do when he's with the guy in the restaurant. I do want that it's Indian like a, food a down home, back home kind of thing to do. Trent, being the hard-nosed reporter that he is, <laughs> um, is almost immediately won over once he gets to see Ted in action. So he comes in very skeptical, and he had this energy like he was preparing to hammer Ted or to write a hit piece on him. Um, but the moment that Ted and Beard show themselves to be egalitarians, when they're out on the pitch talking about Nate's play, that's when they start to win Trent over. And Trent kind of does this like little hmm expression yeah. when they share that credit. And I just imagine as a journalist that he probably values the virtues of truth and fairness. Whoa. And Ted just showed that he had those out the wazoo. So yeah, I it was a nice he, little moment. I think, I think he thought, so I think he thought the spiel he puts on in those those game those interviews that they've had in the press room was kind of like a aw shucks American kind of thing, trying to like win over or maybe defer kind of blame during those interviews. And when he sees it like, no, this is who Ted is. This is what he believes. This is what he, you know, and he's being open and he's being honest. And he, I won't say he drops kind of the shtick a little bit but i think he tones it down a little bit and is like having a open honest conversation with this guy and that's not something you see like i think he kind of expected this like stage managed day of like look at how cool our new coach is and it's like and he also restates that thing about he's it's it's you know i don't consider winning or losing is is not like what what was the oh yeah that's that's at dinner and success is not about wins and losses no he says it at the beginning too and then he repeats oh yeah that's right right. um and i think that's what kind of really seals the deal actually for trent i want to give a a shout out to the physical physical comedy that jason sudeikis gives when they're out on the pitch what he does is um when he's explaining the decoy play to Mm -hmm. Jamie and how he needs Jamie to like play it up and he does like the little dance like give me the ball I want the ball given yeah (laughs) yes he is to win an Oscar at the ESPYs yeah that like takes me out and it's such good physical comedy from Jason Sudeikis like I I was yeah that was fucking hilarious and um it reminds me for some reason and I don't know why this is but I feel like I've heard her do something similar it reminds me of Nicole Byer like that voice that he does like I want that ball like (laughs) it sounds like oh yeah um she's great she is great um so I just wanted to note that comedy goal that just it's it's it's, it reminds me of the um the voices she does in like the intro scenes and nailed it yes that's what it is thank you (laughs) when she it sounds like when when technically they're supposed to be doing stuff and it really seems like she is just trying her hardest to make everyone on set laugh yeah that's exactly what it is thank you for that so back at their locker room nate's not doing so great um he's being picked on again and i have to wonder like is it getting worse in each scene because it seems like it's getting worse 
And Roy has had it. He stumps over to Isaac and the Welsh hole um, <laughs> and takes the business to them. But they, they sort of act obtuse. And of course, you know, the audience knows that it turns out that Jamie never told them to stop picking on Nate. Um, he told them to keep it up. And Roy rushes outside for air and runs into Keeley. Well, he's and... out rushing, looking for Jamie shirtless, by the way. Yes. It's a good look for him. It's a good look for him. And he runs into the doll. And I have to say that I'm feeling this energy between the two of it's them, immediate. like off the bat. It is immediate. I love how quickly my thing is, is I love how quickly he is undone by Keely. Like he is just utterly taken apart by her, but just like, the, because she's just so, she's so unimpressed by him, you know, and she just gives it right back to him. And I don't think he is like used to that. And he's just like, he is flabbergasted. And she didn't have to crack his face like that either, did she? And she laughed in his face too. Like when she, she does, did. His, she basically <laughs> trolls him. You know, he does his little like Yosemite Sam Ted impression. Mm-hmm. You know, like he made he like does he actually make pew pew sounds? I can't. Uh, remember. I think he does. I think he does. Yeah. So he's doing like full on Yosemite Sam mm-hmm. uh, by way it, of Kermit the Frog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like whatever it like it it was bad. It was not good. And then Keely does this spot on impression of him and just cracks his face and laughs in it on her way into the club. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, he has to give it to her basically that it, it's that good. It was actually yeah, good. Yeah. I like their relationship so much. It makes me so happy. I like it so much that I want the actors to get married in real life. That is how much I like their mm. relationship. That is how hard they sell it on me immediately I, yes i'm a, a roy and keely shipper for sure 110 oh, percent. it's not my first ship in the show though it's not my priority ship oh it's not no i don't want to reveal that yet okay we'll get into that because i feel like you're gonna drop it on me and i'm gonna have a uh a, you know a typically over over you know overreaction uh maybe maybe not um yeah. So, you know, he was all hot under his chest sweater um, (laughs) because Jamie is still being a prick and he knows that Ted is trying to make him feel responsible for Nate, um, whose last name he doesn't even know. But then also like 30 seconds later, he corrects Keely that it's Shelly and not Barnes. Because he's secretly, he's secretly a great big giant softie. He is. And, and Roy Kent actually does care. He actually does give a shit. So we're on to you, Roy. Well, I think it's, I think Roy is that he cares a lot about everything, but he had like, but he can't. So like, he can't show it. So he, he puts on this gruff, gravelly persona. Yep. Uh, later in the day, Ted, Beard, and Trent are all hanging out in the gaffer's office. Ted gets a little witty and a little bit shady in that he says that Trent reminds him of a Roomba, a.k.a. He peeps that Trent is looking for dirt. Yes. And Trent asked Ted about the infamous party um, after the loss to Crystal Palace. And Ted, you know, he never concerns himself much with wins and losses. And he reveals that to Trent. And Trent notes that that might be something good to include as a quote for his story. So Trent's on a scent for something there. Um, in a happy coincidence, Ted, Beard, and Roy are going to speak to a local school, and they take Trent along with them. And, you know, Roy is just terrible at speaking to kids. He invites them out to 
the pitch instead to have a proper fuck about. And when the kids are out on the the pitch. The image of Trent setting with the children is a riot. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Do you re- they, they do a quick shot, an establishing shot of, of the kid, like them sitting and it pans over and Trent is sitting among the children. Oh, wait, cutie pie. I'm going to have to go and, and it's very look cute. at that. This is when we meet the coolest snaggletooth little kid in the world, mm. Phoebe, Roy Kent's she's, niece. She's adorable. But I would watch Roy Kent speak to children all day. We learn that he's only doing this because cute little Phoebe attends this school. While Roy and Ted are practicing headers with the kids, Phoebe decides to switch it up all on her own, and she drop kicks the ball right into Ted's face. Phoebe, being very much like her uncle, she's going to do what she wants to do, um, and everybody else to be damned. Roy basically spazzes out on Ted about the, quote, mind games that he's playing, and he wants to know what Ted's really up to. He gave him this book. What the hell is a wrinkle in time anyway? According to The Lover of Words, Trent Krim, it's a lovely novel of a young girl struggling with the burden of leadership as she journeys through space. Roy wonders whether he's supposed to be the little girl. And I love Ted's response here, which was, which was yes, I'd like you to be. So <laughs> Ted and then- and then Roy Roy uh, storms off with the Trent, your colossal prick can always happen. Ted wants Roy to basically rise to the occasion of being this little girl in this novel. Yeah. So he, Roy sees, from, he sees more. I know. Yeah. And, and Roy from kind of looking at it in the, the least curious way, I guess, looking at it in a way where he doesn't really investigate, you know, what the book's supposed to be teaching him or illuminating for him. I don't think that he would ever see that the the girl in that book is supposed to be a role model for him until Trent points it out. I think it goes to a theme of like rising to the occasion mm-hmm. in this episode. Ultimately, Roy feels like none of this matters because he's just biding his time like everyone else in this town until Ted's gone. We leave mm-hmm. on a little bit of a sour note there. And, you know, Lasso is still laying on his charm offensive. Remember, he has a, a mission to carry out related to Trent Krim in this episode. And he takes Trent out for dinner. He takes him to Ollie's restaurant. I believe that Ollie is the airport chauffeur from episode one, yes. right? They have this great conversation prompted by one of those pointed truth-seeking questions that Trent is so well known for. He basically asked Ted why he took the job. You know, was it about money? What, 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 what was it about? And he asks him what you're doing, or he tells him what you're doing is irresponsible. This club actually means something to this town. Ted fully knows that. He says that he loves coaching. This is where you get that double down moment that you were fond of, Julia, where he says that success is not about wins and losses. For him, it's actually about having these young fellas be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. Ted is a true believer. Like he believes in this stuff that he's saying. Yeah. And I think this is where Trent really believes him. It's it's like, okay, this is something you've said kind of off the cuff that I thought that maybe you thought like... I thought you thought I forgot, basically. But no, Ted's like, no, I, I remember what I said and I meant it. Now, I do not know if this is the best approach to professional sports. I don't think it's a bad approach to life. A couple bad seasons and these guys can lose out on millions of dollars and lose out on future career opportunities. Like there's a part of me that wants to believe that what Ted is saying is true, but 
there is like, I like that he's starting to put in the work, but the fact that he does still have to a certain extent, a lackadaisical approach to the game is disconcerting. Do you think that Ted wants to lose? I do think he cares about wins and losses to a Mm -hmm. certain extent. He would prefer a win. His approach, as we've seen it so far, deals a lot more with being the best in life on and off the field. It deals primarily right now at this moment with the off the field segment of it. Or, Or is that a perception that's coming from a certain reading of the show? Here's why I ask it in that way. And here's why I ask, um, do you think he wants to lose is because I think if you start from a standpoint where you're kind of unsure or kind of 50 50 about whether the coach of the team wants to win or not, then it's easy to it's easier in my mind to come to a conclusion where you're kind of looking at Ted skeptically. And like, what the hell is he doing? But I think so just by the virtue of him having the job as a coach of a competitive professional sports team, the first assumption that you would make is that he wants to win. So if that's the assumption. I think the issue is, is that he has shown disregard. It's, it's most that I don't think it's that he doesn't want to win. It's that he doesn't seem to care so much about losses. He affects an air of not care about win or lose it's he affects the air that they always say which is win or lose it's how you play the game I I guess what I'm saying is when people say that they don't mean and I'm okay with losing what they mean is I'm always shooting for a win but I'm going to have an attitude of you know whether I win or not I'm still going to come back and approach it the same way the next day the assumption is that they're always shooting for a win if you take that assumption, I don't see that there's any downside to focusing on things like, you know, integrity and team cohesiveness and sportsmanship and being a good player on and off the field. It's only if you look at it in a way where you're not convinced the coach I actually wants to win. I'm trying to understand what your point of view is. Because... Again, Ted is seems to be very concerned with the life section of this and not so much with the sport. So how much do you believe he wants to win? Like if you had to put it on a scale, what would you say that is? I would I would assume that he wants to win at a 10 out of 10 just because that is the job. Do you feel like he wants to win less than that? Like maybe at yes. a five or a six? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I think he is concerned primarily with like sportsmanship. And his theory is, is that like being a good sportsman, being a good person and being the best you can be on and off the field will lead to winning, which is not a bad, to be honest, not a bad strategy. I don't necessarily disagree with it. However, and you start to see it in this episode, like being in sports, it's about drilling, repeating and drilling and repeating and drilling. And I understand this is a TV show that you're not going to see that because that shit is boring. I've done it in real life. And I say this to someone who is not very good at sports, but like you don't see, at least not in these episodes. And maybe, maybe it's just because this show is just starting again, but like you, Ted never seems overly concerned with the actual sports aspect of his job. So he's never, he, you never see him being like, looking at this, like you do see him a little bit 
with the offense is weak, but like, it's more than that. It's going into, if you wanted to help each individual player be his best, and you do see it a little bit, I think next season, especially with Isaac, it is working on physical weaknesses. It is like, it, it is like, it's working on, okay, oversimplification. Maybe you can't pass as well with your left foot as you do with your right. So there's a weakness on your left side. It is putting in the long hours, working with that, working with that player, working with that athlete until they are just as good on one side as the other. I see the dedication to the life aspect of it. I don't see, like, I see the dedication of trying to bring these people up to be better people, to be proper, you know, proper young men, especially. And I think we'll, we start to see that a little bit later. And I think the reason it works so effectively on Roy is that he's not young anymore. And so I think he can more rapidly see the value of Ted than a lot of the other players. But you don't see him kind of, he doesn't, because right now he doesn't have that grasp of the game. You don't see him putting in that kind of work. Does that make sense? Does that, does that, does that make a little bit, put a little bit of a finer point on it? That makes total sense. um, Especially the point about, we know that he doesn't have a grasp of the game. So I think that that's a really good point. So the whole time, you know, that Ted is at dinner, Trent is shooting him looks and Trent basically ends up looking at Ted like, okay, wow, this guy is the real deal. His persona is not an artifice. Like there's something real and genuine to it. So I love the way that dinner ends. And then the other thing I'm going to say about this dinner scene. So Trent tried to warn Ted uh, about the spice. And of course, Ted wouldn't listen. So I'm wondering like, one, how spicy could it have been? Oh, have you ever had authentic Indian food? Yeah, I've had. Oh, yes. Oh, it is. Oh, oh from oof. someone's kitchen. <laughs> it is. Oof. You know, like from it is an Indian woman's the, kitchen. Yeah, it is a kick really to the good. teeth. It's really I good. I mean, it's stuff. delicious. Don't get me wrong. It's absolutely delicious. Oh, boy. It is spicy. Yeah. And how is it possible that Ted has never had Indian food before in his life? I mean, he is in Kansas. It's flat got- and creepy out there. They got Indian food in Kansas. He just didn't search it out. So I'm glad that Ted has found something new. I don't know if he likes it, though. But do they? Maybe I mean, they probably have some, but would it be like real Indian food or would it be just like something they threw like curry powder into and called tikka masala? And, you know, it's it's probably that type of stuff, which I think Um, is not real Indian food. No, it's it's not. It's it's you know, but they love Indian food over in the UK. They love their curries because they have that's because it's the only good food they have. Maybe so. And Caribbean food. Yeah. That's it. Oh, because of, you know, the immigrant populations bring the good yeah, food. Yeah, it's because like you, there's a legitimate number of like uh Indian folk and and Indian Pakistani and uh and like Caribbean folk in in, in England. That food is good. I've had yeah. it. I've had it in England. Actually the best Indian food I ever had was in England. Yeah. Um real good. And so he sacrificed his body to be polite which is oh. a terrible terrible idea but i respect ted for it listen he wanted have, to show ollie respect so i have made that mistake oh really yes and i've done it more than once oh god i love hot spicy food i'm getting to the point in my life where i can't eat it as much i'm gonna order indian food tonight it's gonna be too hot and i'm gonna pay for it tomorrow mm. I'm gonna love it I'm gonna you're, love you're, it you love it while it's going down oh so uh, good in my tummy <laughs> Towards the end of the episode, a couple of things pay off. So the first thing is that um, Roy is reading A Wrinkle in Time to Phoebe. And in the process, he realizes that it has to be him. It can't Mm -hmm. be anyone else. 
I love that. I love that. Oh, mind your own business, Phoebe, as he runs off. And then they like runs back in. He's like, love you. Yeah. And he gives her a little kiss. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So Uncle Roy would be my favorite uncle if I had an Uncle Roy. He's the best. Yeah. He curses like a sailor, but. I feel like he's the type of uncle that always has your back. Like I know yeah. he's gonna be there for little Phoebe. He already Oh, is. I love in the I love in the um the second season when he legitimately threatens a small child. <laughs> oh yeah, in the name of Phoebe, you goddamn yes. right. Yeah, he legitimately threatens a small child. Yeah, you're goddamn right about that. Um and the second thing that occurs in these last final uh scenes is that Higgy Baby uh has an advanced copy of Trent Crim's wayward ted article um and this is what trent says about ted um whatever you think of the football coach i assure you that the truth is harder to swallow he's either brave or stupidly facing the music he does he faces them you know proudly and as himself and doesn't try to shy away from their early criticisms um and trent continues he's in over his head Uh, he's in over his head he doesn't care if richmond wins or loses but if the lasso way is wrong, it's hard to imagine being right. And he notes that in a business that celebrates ego, Ted reigns his in. His coaching style is subtle. It never hits you over the head. In that capacity, it allows followers to become leaders. So I love that Trent Krim picks all of this up. Um, I think it's a great synopsis of Ted and it, it clarifies some of the mysteries about Ted too. What do you think about that, Julia? I do like this. I think Trent has a clear-eyed grasp on Ted, to be honest. I really like it, but I am still concerned. I like that. I like that it ends with, I think he will lose, but I will not, uh, you know, and, and, and um, Richmond will face relegation, but I will not, I will not be like happy to see him go. Like I will not be happy to see Ted lose. Yeah, he says that when it happens, he won't gloat because he can't help but root for Ted. Yeah, I really like that. And when this little scene wraps up, I'm just like, give this man a Pulitzer for that all that truth that he just enlightened us with. He's crushing it. So at the same time that Higgins is reading the article, the show takes us to King Roy Kent, who marches into a bar slash club slash lounge type place to confront Jamie and the other team bullies. And he tells them to need Nate alone. Uh, you know, Keely just looks like she wants to jump him right there, basically. Uh, yeah. And that, I'm sorry, that, 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 that terse interchange with the Keely. Oh Roy, yeah. Hottest my... thing that's ever happened. Puts a film. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they both look like they were going to attack each other basically. Yeah. So that was even, the... even idiot Jamie kind of cocks it. Yeah, because Keely, I think, in that moment recognizes that, like, oh, this is what a man looks like. Like, there he is, right there, speaking with his full chest, like, laying down the law, doing something for the benefit of other people. Um, I also like that he, like, he makes fun of himself a little bit, where he's like, I don't know which one of you I hit, because my night vision's not what it used to be. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's he's all there. He's he's getting up there. (laughs) He's He's not. He is not, <laughs> but he's old for sports. I understand. Yeah. Okay. So that brings us to our segments. Um, and our first segment is the moment that was life for us. This episode, our favorite moment. Football is life. No, 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 no. Julia, what was your favorite moment this episode? Okay. 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 Um, da, 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 da. 
this again, there's gonna I'm I'm gonna be cheating. There's a tie. It's the Keely with Rebecca and Keely with Roy. I love Keely. I love her so much, and I won't apologize for it. But her, like when when um Keely and Rebecca do the the meeting in her office, and like she, Rebecca is so taken aback, and what is she's like upset. Because, and I think she gets to the heart of the issue right right immediately is, is that like you know she goes oh I always felt so bad for you that the press went after you and not your husband um like they never go after the man they never go chase you know to see if he's taking topless photos out at, off the coast of Mallorca yep. and she goes wait do you have that many shows him and Keely is just like over the moon like she she is just like it's just like, and she's like, if I had, if I looked at, I would have shown everyone. <laughs> like, oh, I, yeah. I love her enthusiasm. Um, about Rebecca's topless photo. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, it was so sweet. And like, just clearly kind of just what Rebecca needed to hear. And it, it t- to turn like kind of what would be a very bad and somewhat likely degrading experience into something much more pleasant and, you know, much like something affirming. And, yeah. you know, when, when Shirtless Roy runs into her, uh, when she's looking for Jamie. And, like, Roy's impression of Ted, that's still, I just love that. I love that impression. And, like, just Keely's absolute, like, she just, she just cuts him down the size immediately. And you also get the impression, I think, in the acting is, is that Roy is slightly embarrassed to be in front of her topless, like just like roaming the grounds topless like a maniac. So, yeah, those were two good moments. I like those. Yes. For you. Um, What is your favorite moment? What is giving you life? Yeah, definitely the Rebecca and Keely moment. Mm -hmm. And um, she has a little present for Rebecca. And she takes her a cactus because it's strong and prickly. I love it. So I, I just, like that little thoughtful moment, but also it's I think so it cute. so appropriately describes Rebecca from Keely's vantage point right now. Yes. And the real thing that I notice about this scene is that it's the start of a beautiful friendship. Yes, this is like, the start of their glorious, glorious friendship. Yeah, like uh, it, at least it's an, it doesn't seem to me that they know each other very well prior to the last couple of days keely seems to be attracted to rebecca because of her strength and just how much of a bad bitch she seems to be and there's something that's drawing keely to her but also keely sees beyond that too right and that's kind of some of the softer stuff that that you were picking up and keely you know she forecasts i think for rebecca that she can be that really good like listening ear when she needs it and we know that Rebecca does need that so it makes so much sense why they are attracted to each other like Keely sees Rebecca's strength and wants some of that Rebecca sees Keely's kindness and knows that she needs some of that um so I just can't wait to see you know what else happens for them there I love the duo it's a good pairing I had another one for this and what was it Oh, my other favorite moment was just Trent Krim's article. It was like the last minute or two of the episode. Just play that on a loop, basically, because I just mm-hmm. think he he hits it on the head. I love that he comes in skeptical. You know, he's probably even looking for a reason to hate Ted. 
And then by the end of it, he's just like, you just can't root against a good dude. He ends up doubling back on what we can assume to be his own objective in writing something that actually ends up pretty fair and pretty favorable to Ted. So I love it. Our next segment is be a goldfish. And this is our least favorite moment or the moment that you would like to forget. You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. Got a 10 second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. Um, oh, I, I think I think you know what it's going to be. Yeah, what'd you have in, for this? Oh, I segment? think I think you know what it's going to be. You might want to go first because I'm going to. Well, no, I, I want you to go first. I actually don't know what it's going to be. Oh, it's 100%. It's going to be the locker room scene in which Ted fails to defend me. Oh, okay. Um, I hate it. I cannot begin to verbalize how much I hate it. He is leaving Nate to the wolves in a scenario where he has a lot of power. And I understand it's maybe not as, you know, it's not Ted season two where he does have considerably more power. And I think, I think this um, also touches slightly on a, on something the show does not do well. And please let me know if I'm, I've, you know, gone out over my skis on this one, which is, there's the potential that this could have a racial component to it. You see the people picking on them. The majority of them are white. And um, the Isaac actor, is black. Isaac is, but in the first two episodes, you see it primarily as Jamie and the Welsh guy. Like, I know the show doesn't bring this into it. Doesn't bring race into it at all. But in real life, like seeing a group of, again, mostly white guys pick on someone picking a person of color pick on um probably you know pick on an ethnic minority is not great it's not a great look and the show doesn't engage with that component the show rarely engages with race at all with the exception of when sam is involved and and then even then it's kind of done at a surface level um you know it, it could be it could just be that these guys are just picking on them because of the power imbalance but I think race has something to do with the power imbalance. And I think the, one of the things that the show does not handle well is race um, in that it, it, it deals with it from a colorblind perspective in the way that white people like to deal with race, which is, I don't see color. The show doesn't see color, um, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing, except for non-white people. Um, I think that's a lie white people tell each tell tell themselves that they don't see color. The world does though. Again, that that's kind of expanding past this particular instant. But I know we obviously have a deep difference of opinion on this, but it's still every time I see it, every time I see Ted noticing it and not stepping in to protect someone who is weaker than him. Why I, is Ned weaker than him? Because he is in an inferior position as Kitman. That's why. Okay. He is in a position I, where he cannot necessarily snap back at the players, but Ted can. Okay. And maybe, maybe politically he can't, maybe at the moment, but in an organizational chart sense, he very much so can. Yeah. That and, I think is a very good point. And I'm not, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying where Nate is a, is weaker than these players. It's because he's the kit man and they're the players. It makes me, 
again, incandescent with rage. I hate it. Yeah. No, I can definitely tell. Um, <laughs> can you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that there are a lot of good points there. So I like that you, you bring all of that up. I will say this. I was not aware of the so-called Ted Lasso backlash that's out there on the internet. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know. This is just, this is me. Yeah. So, the, but there's a lot of stuff on the internet that is like that when it comes to Nate in particular. I get sensitive mm-hmm. and I get a little suspicious and paranoid when it's not clear to me. And you did something that really clarified it, actually. When it's not clear to me why white people at times deem themselves the savior of someone else. Ah, the thing you... that you did that was clarifying for me was pointing out that Nate is the kit man. And so he's in a, a, a lower position on the totem pole. So I, I do think that that's a really good point. You know, like I note his race, but it's not that it is. It is. Um... You're looking at everything in the totality, I think. And I think it's a good observation. But I do just this is just personally, this is not I'm not arguing uh, that my position is right or or one has more merit than the other. Personally, I always prefer for someone to enable somebody who's in a, you know, a, a, a position where they're not getting the respect that they deserve for whatever reason. I always much prefer for the person with more privilege in that situation to look for ways to aid the person who's not in the privileged position, as opposed to swooping in and doing something that can be misinterpreted as a grand gesture for their own ego. I think there's a very fine line that needs to be walked there. And I'm not sure that my perspective is intended by the show at all I but think it, it I is think just my my I personal think it's closer take. I think it's closer to I think that's what the show is going for but as someone who's experienced and I'm and, you know I'm sure as you mentioned you were bullied as well as someone who was bullied very severely through most of their teen years most of their childhood I, 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 you know, I, I think you're right. There's a fine line. There's, there's a gentle way to go about this. But what I don't like is, again, I, and I'll, we talked about it earlier, is, is that Ted could have just pulled Nate aside and said, hey, I see what you're going through. And talk to him about it like an adult. I see the team is maybe not treating you appropriately. Mm, um, I've got something, like, I'm, I'm working on that. I don't think, you know, I'm, you know, and I think he could have gone through the, like, I'm new to the team. I can't make. I'm trying to respect what was here before, but I, I see this as an issue and I am working to correct it or engaged with Nate. I, I do get what you're, you're yeah. saying though. Yeah, I, I get it. I, I do have some discomfort with some, I guess, uh, reviews or analysis analyses that I've seen of the show. And, and it gets complicated because a lot of the characters of color are in... They're, they're not in management, right? Which I think is very true to life. Yeah. So it, it does get complicated for that reason. But there are sometimes when I see certain things, and, and I'm not saying this related to your comments, Julia, but there are just sometimes when I see certain things that they come off as kind of paternalistic to me. I can, and I'm I... not understanding why 
there's a need to jump to those areas of yeah of conversation yeah, when I feel don't... like the sh- the show isn't about that. So I often get the feeling that people are interjecting things in almost as like virtue signaling. Yes, I can see. I can see why you would think that. Um, I can see how it could come across. Again, it's a very fine line, which is why I think we have we are having kind of such a back and forth about this. It's because the line is so fine. Um, and because there are multitudes of shades of gray, because I see, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Because um, if but- I if I were Nate, I would not want some, you know, new guy, cornbread American to come in and try to lay down some law on my behalf. Uh, that just fucks me harder. That that's the only thing I, I- think from that. I- I think I think you're right, but I don't think it had to be laid down hard. Like like I said, I think he could have gone about it the same way he did, with the added thing of like pulling it, like or just engaging with Nate of like, hey, I see what you're going through as the coach. You are a part of the team. I can put a stop to this. How do you want me to go about this? And all my problems go away. Yeah. Like all he needed to do was address address it with Nate. I think, yeah, I think that that actually and, fixes it. Yeah. And that would, that would utterly like, I would be like, cause if Nate was like, like he said, if it had the conversation of like, you know, if the, if he, if the bullied kid goes to the teacher, it just makes it worse. And, and then, you know, the, the, you know, they're having the conversation and the camera pans to Roy and Ted goes, well, oh, I have an idea or whatever. Like, yeah. You know, like then then you get the best of both worlds. You have Ted acknowledging this is a problem. But like from Nate's perspective, Ted is just allowing this to happen. Yeah. I mean, I I don't really have a, a disagreement there. I, I think for me it's more of a oh I, for for me it's only about tone. I think it's mm. only about tone for me, which is why I appreciate the kind of subterfuge that Ted is. Oh, I love it. I think it's very clever. I think it's very clever. And the only thing, yeah, I think it's clear what needs to be done. I think it's a matter of how. I think the reason I respond to this so aggressively is because I love Ted Lasso. I think he's a great, great guy. So for him to have such a glaring gap like this is what really is like kind of what like is setting my hair on fire so much because in general i think he's great i think mm-hmm. he's wonderful i think what he's doing is i think it's wonderful to see a, a male character like this be so warm and so loving and so emotional um and to be like no one can be 100 percent perfect obviously and so i understand like like i think it is better that he has this failing rather than being perfect um, I, th- I think that was a great discussion, Julia. Yes. Sorry for taking up so much time. Um, no, but this is it's great. That's I mean, that's why we're here to discuss this show. So yeah, that's really good. Okay. Do you what, wanna... what is yours? What is your be a goldfish moment? Be a goldfish. Oh, um, mine is dumb. So <laughs> <laughs> mine is so dumb. Oh. Um, it's okay. So no, this is a serious one. I, I had two as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and my first one is a serious one. So it's all the moments where Nate the Great was picked on. I, uh, I don't want to come back to that. Yeah, no, <laughs> I feel I, like we've beaten that 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 horse to death. Yeah, I want to. 
I want to forget all of those moments. So all of the stuff from Isaac and the Welsh asshole yeah. and Jamie. Um, and then two is um, my dumb one. So it was when Ted, when they were doing the, the headers with the kids and Phoebe kicked the ball uh, because she went off script into Ted's face. <laughs> and Ted then proceeds to drip hepatitis all over the footballs that they're giving, that they're signing and giving yeah, to that the was kids. Uh, yeah, I just want to, I want to blank that out. I'm just like, it, like, get off the line, like go, like stop up your nose, get off the line, get away from the children. Like, what are you doing? Why are you? And he's just like, like, uh, like smudging it off with like the sleeve of his shirt or something like, Ew. yeah, he's just bled on something and it's like wiping it off and hand it, it to like a eight year old. So yeah. that was gross to me. And, um, keep your hepatitis to yourself. Ted. Uh, yeah. So that was my moment to forget. That was, I mean, it was gross. Like, yeah, he knows better gross. than that. Um, anyway. so our next segment is hopefully much lighter affair. It's biscuits. I brought you a little something. Oh, yeah. Cookies. <laughs> or as y'all call them here, biscuits, right? Yeah. We love biscuits. Our favorite character. Um, who's your favorite character this episode? Uh, again, it's going to be two. It's going to be Keely and Roy, I think, for mm-hmm. obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love them both. They're great. They're just wonderful, like balls of light and loveliness. And I think it's great. And I love it. And I love it. I just, I love them so. I like Keely is such a wonderful, like, especially Keely. I love the way Roy is written for different reasons um because again i love to see sensitive men on tv sensitive hyper masculine men and i think roy is great at that i think he's performed perfectly that's my type boy yep and i love 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 but i love keely you don't see many characters like keely on on, on tv and that's changing but like um like she is she she is for lack of a better term like like in Instagram, per, like you know, she's she's a reality celebrity star kind of person. Is is how I see her, kind of portrayed in the show. Mm-hmm. But she's and usually they're portrayed as kind of vapid and shallow, and not much going on. But that's like who Keely. She's this wonderful, bubbly, vivacious person. But she's smart and she's determined. And like, oh, I love her. Oh, God, I love her. So my favorite character, uh, the person who's getting my biscuits this episode, is um, King Roy Kent himself. <laughs> and that's for the growth that he's had this episode. He turned that wanting to control things from the wings, like know-it-all bossy energy into actual leadership. Um, so I appreciated that about him. And he, he assumed his mantle instead of just talking about it as he was before he decided to be about it. He fulfilled the mission this episode. To me, this episode was about stepping up to the plate. And he did that um, hands down. And then, oh, I'll get into that a little bit more when we talk about themes too. In addition to identifying with his controlling nature sometime, I really felt him when Keely was pushing his buttons out in the parking lot and she was like talking over him instead of listening. And that is, I have so many pet peeves, but that is like the one thing where you can like set me off. She, she found his weak spot on that one. Um, so I identified with that super hard. All right. And our next segment is hot brown water. You know, I always figured that tea was just going to taste like hot brown water. And you know what? I was right. Yeah, it's horrible. Huh. No, thank you. 
So this is our least favorite character this episode. Julia, who are you teeing up for least favorite? All right. So it's going to be a toss up between this, not going to shock you, Jamie, because he continues to just be the absolute worst. Yep. Agree. And Ted, again, I cannot, I, I'm not, we're not going to drag, I'm not going to drag uh, you back into that scene, but you know why. You know why. Yeah, you're not a fan of Ted this episode. No, I like him. I think that's the issue is that I like him in every other part of it, but that one. Yeah. So for me, it was Jamie. Ditto on that one. And then also the Welsh guy for menacing Mm. sweet Nathaniel. Um, Sweet, sweet boy. Finally, we'll close out with some themes. I did have a couple this episode. Rising to the occasion. So I mentioned Roy. Um, I think we see several people that are challenged to rise to the occasion and they do or don't do it. Uh, So we talked about Roy. I think that, um, you know, Trent is an example of this where he has these journalistic ideals that we assume that he, uh, you know, abides by and upholds in his, um, as he goes about doing his work. Um, I think he comes in with a little bit of a bias And by the end of it, you know, he takes that mantle of being, you know, an an objective, impartial journalist and gives a fair assessment of Ted. So I see Trent as an example of rising to the occasion. I see Nate as an example of rising to the occasion. He had that opportunity to give input into the plays that they're going to start learning. Um, And he takes that and he rises above his station to quote, Manuel Miranda. Someone that we see who doesn't rise to the occasion is Jamie because he's told explicitly more than once now that he needs to start contributing to the team in a different way to treat Nate better. And he blows both of those things off. Like you could have been talking to a brick wall. So fail for Jamie on that. And the reason that this stuck out to me was really at the end of the episode when Ted mentioned to Trent this line that almost seemed irrelevant to me. And I don't really know why it's there yet. I think we're going to get more about this. But the line that stuck out to me as being out of place was when he was talking to Trent about the, the reason he approaches the team that, the way that he does is because he knows how tough it is to grow up without somebody believing in you or something like that. And I'm just like, what does this have to do with you know your role as the manager of this team? Who said anything about that? So I'm wondering if Ted is revealing something about himself there. To me, this relates to the rest of the players or the rest of the the people that I mentioned, rather. There's a connection there for me because I read Ted as at least saying the potential to actually uh, rise to the occasion and be successful there is kind of contingent upon somebody believing in you. So I look at the way that he plants certain seeds with Roy and with Nate the way that he tries to with Jamie, the way that he even does it a little bit with Trent. And I see kind of who's been successful and who hasn't. And then I had one other thing. Oh yeah. So we said we were going to keep track of kind of who comes around on Ted, when and why. So right now I'm counting Roy and Trent as additions to Team Lasso. And Rebecca is being worked on, but I think that she is pretty well on her way between Ted and Keeley, kind of working on her. So that's the tally that I'm keeping right now. 
Okay. Well, I think that um, we did a show. I think we did too. All right. So that wraps up this episode of TV is Life. Join us next week and we'll be covering season one, episode four of Ted Lasso. In the meantime, we'd love to hear from our listeners. Follow or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and send your comments, theories, and just any general feelings you have about what we covered this week to tvislifepod at gmail.com. And we may cover it on an upcoming episode. Thank y'all for listening. Until next time, take care of your characters and each other.